0: Welcome to Creatives Do Money. Each week, we explore the topics of everyday money management, solo business ownership, and how we're fueling our creative futures. I'm your host, Eowyn Levine, money coach, longtime self-employed massage therapist, and watermelon enthusiast. And I'm on a mission to help you build the lasting financial stability that frees you up to do your creative work without hustling anxiously for the next dollar. Melissa Houston is a chartered professional accountant, CPA, in Ottawa, Canada, and a business financial coach with over 20 years of professional experience. She enjoys helping entrepreneurs manage both their business and personal finances through one-on-one coaching and signature programs. Melissa is passionate about helping women reach their financial goals and is a regular contributor at Forbes.com. Today, we dive into her own painful history with money management and debt, and talk about the major change that allowed her to finally stop the behavior that was getting her into so much trouble. We touch on Melissa's approach to helping folks with their business finances. We geek out some about budgeting. And we also get into the three primary financial reports you really want to be familiar with in your business in order to have long-term success. Thank you so much for being here today, Melissa, and welcome.
1: I am so glad to be here. I'm so excited about this conversation that we're about to have. We get to geek out on money. I know. And you're officially the
0: first expert here on Creatives Do Money. Of course, everybody is their own expert in the context of their life and their business, but you have such a wealth of experience that you speak from. And I'm, yeah, I'm just grateful that you're here.
1: Oh, that's awesome. I feel so flattered. Thank you. <laughs>
0: So we're going to dive right in. I want to ask you about a pivotal moment in your life when your relationship to money and
1: finances shifted and changed. Wow, that is actually a really deep question to start off with. And Mm -hmm. the reason I'm saying this is because I have pretty much struggled with money management my entire life. It's kind of ironic considering that I am a money expert, but I am also human. And when I was growing up, my mother inadvertently taught me, she didn't mean to, but she taught me that debt was okay Mm -hmm. because she would let me borrow against my allowance and then I'd have to pay her back. So then it became a very ingrained cycle in me. And I didn't stop this cycle until I met my husband. And when we met and we started dating and we knew things were getting serious, I was like, okay, you know, we're going to have to save for our down payment on our house. And we're going to have to be really good with money now and stuff. And I always knew how to manage my money. Um, I just uh, was comfortable, too comfortable with with carrying debt. Mm. So then we erased all our debt. Saved a huge down payment on our house, you know, had our children, whatever. And then a couple of years ago, about five years ago now, I started struggling with my money management again. And I ended up going back into debt. And a lot of it I hid from my husband because we we have shared money goals. And I was very, very aware and cautious of how I would deal with money. And we always had an open relationship about it. But um, I was struggling with some internal stuff. And instead of dealing with that, I started overspending. Mm -hmm. So when I finally had to come clean with my husband and let him know, cat's out of the bag and gotten (laughs) all sorts of trouble and had to, you know, pay back my debt again and stuff. I went on this really intense journey and I ended up working with a coach who helped me realize that, my money spending was attached to issues I just wasn't dealing with. So it was very interesting. So I I really wanted to give you an honest question or an honest answer to that question. And I hope I didn't give you too much information. (laughs) No, far from it. I appreciate the honesty. I think it,
0: I think it keeps it real, you know. Doctors get sick and doctors don't always act in their best health interest. And that's true of those of us who work within finance as well. Like you can have all of the head knowledge in the world, but our behavior is about our hearts and our thoughts and our feelings. And it's it's so relatable and understandable that you struggle despite all of your professional knowledge it makes it makes total sense to me honestly
1: yeah and I really like to share that story because I find it makes me relatable to my clients because mm. when when I help people there's a no judgment zone right yeah. we can't be perfect all the time I mean perfection is an illusion first of all yeah like, let's let's get rid of that we'll shed that you know we just have to do our best every day And sometimes we overspend, sometimes we overeat, sometimes we overdrink, whatever the case may be. Mm -hmm. You know, we're human, we make a mistake, we get back up and we start again the next day.
0: Well, I think having lived through that experience of stumbling, realizing there's a problem, working hard to fix it and going through your own debt payoff journey more than once means that you can speak and educate the people that you work with from a real place, of genuine knowledge and understanding. And it makes it easier to just not be judgmental.
1: Exactly. And I always say that money is the most emotionally charged topic that I've ever encountered. Mm -hmm. And everybody that I've talked to about their money issues, whether they're clients or friends or whomever, there's always that element of emotion attached to it. Mm -hmm. And for me, that's very real too. Like I'm definitely emotional about money. and quite often, I, you know, and it's funny because I just wrote an article about this. I was saying quite often that you hear and you read all this financial advice, but nobody really talks about the emotion that's attached to the money. Mm-hmm. And it's really complicated.
0: Without feeling pressure to expose yourself too much, could you say something about what prompted
1: the spending five years ago? Oh, whatever detail feels good to you. Yeah. Like for me, it was very confusing because on the surface, I felt like I was a very happy person. You know, I was, I'm happily married. I've been married to my husband for 21 years. And then, you know, we have two great kids. I have no complaints. You know, we've got, you know, we've got like a great support system. Like life is good. So I just kept thinking, what is wrong with me? So it was like mm-hmm. I was punishing myself, right? Like why am I acting like this? Uh, mm-hmm. Obviously, I've got issues. What are my issues? Mm-hmm. You know, and I spent a good two years trying to uncover what my problem was after having been caught in in this amount of debt with my mm-hmm. husband because my husband looked at me and he was so disappointed. and like just seeing that that face on him, I was like, "I cannot do this again. Mm-hmm. So I took this very, very seriously. Mm. and through all the work that I did on myself when I met my coach and we started working through the program and peeling back the layers and finding out what the issue was I realized I was in a job that I didn't enjoy Mm. and I knew that I really knew that but I kept saying to myself what are you doing like you've got a great job you make great money you know you've got work-life balance things couldn't be better but there was always something inside me that said, you need to go out. You need to do your own thing. You need to help people. You need to do what you love to do. And I just kept suppressing that. And I would I would eat and I would spend and it would be this cycle. And it would make me feel good for a couple of minutes or however long the little dolt of joy would last. And then I'd be right back in the same spot. So that's how I would deal with everything because I didn't know how else to deal with it. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And did your debt payoff process look differently in terms of like the nuts and bolts in addition to the excavation you did around your emotions and how you were feeling about your life? Like, did you implement a budget differently than you had previously when you got out of debt with your husband or were there other things that you pulled in to help
1: yourself? No, nothing was different. I followed exactly what I teach and it sucks. I get it. (laughs) I absolutely get it. It sucks because it took a while to pay all that money back. Yeah. And I was like, how can there not be any joy in my life? And I had to work through that because you can definitely have joy in your life without feeling financially restricted. Yeah. So I did everything that I teach people to do, but I was in touch with my emotions Mm. about it. I knew it sucked. I knew I had to do the work. I knew I had to come to terms with the situation I put myself in. I was very verbal about my dissatisfaction with my husband, you know, and he would just be like, well, too bad. (laughs) You You got yourself there. But yeah, I mean, so it wasn't the fact that I didn't know what to do. It was all the emotions that were around it that I didn't know how to handle. Yeah.
0: Yeah, that's powerful learning that you can survive your
1: emotions. (laughs) Absolutely. You know, your emotions, like they come out in so many different ways. And I know a lot of people struggle with it or we wouldn't have this high can, like, household debt levels that we do right now. For sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: and it's not just shopping and spending that we use to dull our experience of our emotions. It can be food, it can be sex, it can be the internet, social media, whatever. Like, We have all kinds of interesting ways of not feeling our
1: emotions. And I think especially now, it's a trying time for dealing with the emotions I mean yeah. it's it's a totally uncharted territory that we're on right now too which is hard
0: yeah no doubt and isolation mm-hmm. is especially challenging for humans who are who are quarantining on their own
1: I know as we're talking I'm just thinking oh maybe I'm spending too much time on the internet <laughs>
0: <laughs> i, I know i am
1: from yeah me too like i, I think i re- need to revisit this <laughs>
0: <laughs> i've had periods that are a lot worse but sometimes i'll catch myself just automatically clicking through to facebook or instagram and then i'm like
1: no turn around oh yeah you get sucked right in <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. So could you tell us some, well, two things, they're related. One, tell us a bit about that professional experience that I touted at the beginning that you speak from and you work from, and then also a bit about the process that you put yourself through, which is what you teach others.
1: Okay. I am a, well, I know in the US you call them certified professional accountants, and in Canada they're called chartered professional accountants slight difference, CPAs. Mm -hmm. I am a professional accountant, and I have over 20 years of experience. I have done everything financial from corporate tax returns to personal tax returns, working with individuals, working with large corporations. I've done budgeting, forecasting, variance analysis. I've, I've done it all. I do internal controls. I could go on, but I won't bore you. So I have a really solid understanding of business finance, and I also have a very solid understanding of personal finance, working with a lot of clients with personal tax returns, teaching them how to manage their personal money situations, And I also do volunteer work for my professional association for CPA Canada, where Mm -hmm. we volunteer and we go into different offices and classrooms and stuff and we teach financial literacy. So all this combined experience over 20 years and my not being super satisfied, my employment position, I'm like, what is it that I do? Because, okay, a little backtrack. My first, this is actually my second career. My first career was in social work, Mm. I wanted to combine what I love doing, which is social work and working. Well, essentially what it is, is I love working with people and I love helping people. So then I was like, I've got an excellent skill and I've got this deep desire to help people. So I decided to combine them and teach people, mostly entrepreneurs, how to manage their finances. So to me it was a great marriage. And since I've been doing it, I've never been happier. I can honestly say that. Like I absolutely love helping people.
0: And then what was the process that you took yourself through, which is also what you teach others when you got out of debt?
1: Yeah. So what I commonly noticed when I was meeting clients, especially for small to medium business size, they would come in and they would meet with us and they would get their tax return returned to them. And we would also give them, you know a whole bunch of great financial tips for them to take away and implement in their business. But I noticed that we would often get blank stares in return. Like they had no idea what we were talking about. And this was far too common. So I knew like 10 years ago, I was like, if I'm ever going to open my own business, this is what I want to do. I want to help people so that when they go meet with their accountants, or when they're dealing with their bookkeepers, They know exactly what they need. Because this is vital information. If you're a business owner and you don't know your finances, it is essentially like driving blindly. You've got this business, you invest so much time and energy and love into your business. If you don't know if it's profitable, or if you don't know how many offers you're offering that are profitable, or you can't read your financial reports, Then you're in trouble because the only thing in life, well, not the only thing, but a huge thing in life, especially in business is the most honest you're going to get is the feedback that your numbers are telling you in your business because numbers don't lie, you know, so you need to know how to read them and move that needle. And if you want to redirect, pivot, you know, adjust whatever you want to call it, your business into more profit, because quite often I hear too, especially in the online space, is everybody's talking about these big seven-figure revenues, multiple millions, whatever you want to call it. You know, this is all the, the revenue that they're generating. But nobody is talking about how much it costs to generate that revenue. So these are things that I really want to educate people, because you can be making millions of dollars in your business, but you could also be going bankrupt. And if people don't understand that, they're in for trouble. Yeah, the overemphasis on sales and revenue. Yeah, it's your profit line that matters the most. Whether you're pulling in, you know, $40,000, if you're not profitable at that stage, chances are you're not going to be able to scale and grow your business to a more profitable business. You have to get that information from your financial reports, learn how to dissect it and help your business grow and to be healthy. Because if you can't afford to pay yourself in your business, that's a problem. That's your first red flag. You know, if you're always running out of cash and you're like, I don't understand. I'm making so many sales, but I have no cash left in my bank account to pay myself. Big issue. Or even if you're you're struggling just to make yeah. payments that you need to make. So when you get in a system that everything is organized and you understand the flow of it and you understand the feedback that your financial reports are giving you and you can make those adjustments, plug those money leaks or market your more profitable products, whatever it is that you choose to do, when you have the skills to do that, it will help you grow your business. And it's very similar to the way that you would do your your personal budget as well. Because if you're spending more money than you're making, you're going to be in debt. Are
0: there certain areas that you find the entrepreneurs and especially online entrepreneurs areas that they tend to overspend that you've noticed? <gasps> <laughs> I mean, I can guess one, which is education. Yes, but tell me, and I
1: am guilty of that myself. You know, and and it's hard because they dangle this carrot: invest in me, and I'm going to give you the answers. And I know when I started on, like, I I have a very strong business background, but it's totally different when you're in the online world. Yeah, and I'm like, I I'm struggling with this messaging and the this and the that, and everybody's got these shiny objects. They've got the promise for me. And I'm not saying that I've spent all my money on courses and programs and coaches and stuff, but it is very tempting. And Mm -hmm. that I see a lot with people. They put all their investments because so we're also told that we should be investing in ourselves, that if we're not investing in ourselves, that we're doing ourselves a big disservice. So I find a lot of people get sucked into that. And that's how the online entrepreneurs are making their money. And Of course, they're sending us messages that this is the answer because that's what they're selling. And we have to really stop, take a step back and have a look at how much am I investing in myself? And I did air quotes there versus what is a reasonable amount to invest in myself? Because, you know, you have to track your expenses so that you don't put yourself in personal bankruptcy as well
0: and plan your spending like yeah, i know yeah. you're a fan of this as well and Oh, we, we get the budget talk? Yes, we're going to geek out about budgeting. <laughs>
1: um, that was the carrot that you used to get me on the show. <laughs> I know, you're like,
0: I'm like, I promise we'll talk about budgeting. <laughs> but yeah, simply planning your spending, like knowing what a sensible amount is to spend in a certain area of your life and then choosing accordingly and waiting to spend Absolutely. if it's not the right time to fork out you know, six or eight hundred dollars for
1: something. Exactly. And what I usually do with my clients is I teach them how to break out their spending. Like we we do a budget that plans out the year. And whether we're looking at p- business budgets or personal budgets, they're essentially built the same way where mm. you plan out how much money that you have coming in and you plan out how many, I mean, especially online, you've got like all sorts of uh, software subscriptions that you have to pay and there's just a bunch of expenses that you don't necessarily have to deal with in a brick and mortar or whatever, like however you've set up your business, but you plan everything out so that you know exactly how much money's going out the door and you know how much money you need to bring in in order to just break even. Mm -hmm. And then you understand how much you can pay yourself. And you know, if you want to grow your revenue, you know, you understand, like, it's just, it gives you so much more clarity. And then it also offers you goals that you can tangibly work towards because you know what you need to do in order to succeed. And then if you monitor your, your progress each month, then you know, if you're on the right path or not.
0: So tell me, how do you work with people who have highly variable income? What do you put, help them put in place to
1: manage that? Very simple. What I do is you take, if you're dealing with an income level that's variable, but, you know, you have a good idea, like, you know, you're going to make between, I don't know, let's just say seventy and $90,000 a year. So you plan your budget according to that. And then you also plan your personal budget to see how much you need to live off of. So then you incorporate that into your business budget and you pay yourself a salary each month. Okay, so you've got this set monthly payment because you know how much you need to live off of. And then all that extra money, you're going to keep in there for rainy day funds and you're either going to, you know, have a nice cushy emergency fund, reinvest that money into your business. The way you financial plan is making sure that you're paying yourself what you need minimally to live in your personal budget. And Mm -hmm. the extra is always the icing on the cake.
0: Yeah, it's definitely key to know your numbers in your personal life when you work for yourself. That's really where you start. You have to know what your bare minimum is. You have to know if... I mean that combined with knowing your bottom line in your business because knowing those two numbers your minimum expenses in your personal life plus what's available to pay yourself in your business tells you whether you need a side hustle to your business or you need to go make exactly. some money on the side
1: so that exactly. you can pay you some need bills. To push those sales. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it tells yeah, you what and, you need to do. And then it also takes the fear out of if your, your income fluctuates, so on those months where you're like, I know I'm not going to make as much money. If you've got that money in the bank and you know that paycheck is coming, then it gives you some assurance. Yeah. Now, for some people, it can be difficult. Like for me, because I just confess to you about how much I like to spend. I've got a, a spending issue. Mm. I just tend to not. Like when I know I've got money in the bank, I tend to hide it. Mm-hmm. So by hiding it for me, especially for my personal finances, it's not so hard for my business, but for my personal, I put it in a completely separate bank account and I don't see it. It's not it attached to my daily banking because I check my bank balances every morning when I wake up. And if I see that I've got money sitting there that I can spend, it will just tempt me. Mm. So it this savings account is at a different bank. And it's in a higher interest earning bank account and it just stays there. So the temptation. Yeah. <laughs> I
0: just did my own air quotes for higher interest. <laughs>
1: it's like 1% higher.
0: <laughs> I, if that. I mean, interest rates clearly must be different in Canada they are, than they are here, but you're lucky if you're getting 0.5% in the States at the moment.
1: Oh, really? Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, it's you're not, super you're low. Not that low. Yeah. <laughs> Even Maybe. like a CD. <laughs> Really, eh? Because mm-hmm. we, can, we can find... You're my Canadian, I mean, really, eh? It's welcome here. <laughs> but, like, we're usually around for high interest savings accounts, around 3%. Yeah. So, once again, Canada wins. <laughs> 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 yeah, but That's I also have... It's a more awesome a country. <laughs> yeah, we also have about a foot and a half of snow right now. So. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> yes.
0: When you talk about... A business owner understanding their numbers. I know there are, so I have some experience with bookkeeping and a general understanding of what we're talking about. So, but walk us through the three main financial documents. So whether a business owner is maintaining their finances themselves or whether they work with a bookkeeper, there are three sort of primary documents that we're talking about or
1: reports that we're talking about. So would you walk us through those? Absolutely. The first is the balance sheet. And the second most common one is the income statement, or also known as the profit and loss statement. And then the third one is the cash flow statement. When you're in a business, I'll be honest, the most common one that you use is the income statement. Your income statement is basically telling you, well, essentially is telling you what your profit level is in your business. And the way you know that is you take your revenue and you subtract your expenses and that's what your net income or your profit would be, but quite often, and I'm just going to use this as a little opportunity to offer some free advice. <laughs> quite often, business owners forget to budget for their tax bill. Yes. So yes, so that profit number is not what you get to keep. You have to also estimate your taxes, and you can usually get a percentage from your your tax accountant. And they'll give you an accurate percentage where you can just take, like, let's just say for argument's sake, it's 20%. Take that 20%, put it aside because that's not your money. And then the rest of it would be your money.
0: Do you recommend putting tax savings aside anytime it hits the bank or once a week or once a month? Or does it just depend on what your revenue
1: looks like? I recommend every month. You know, you like I have a whole system where I teach my clients, you know, it's a four step system where the first thing you do is you understand your financial statements that we just spoke about. The second step is creating your your working budget. The third step is monitoring your budget. So then what happens is at the end of the month, let's just say what we're in November right now. So let's say November at the end of the month, you're going to have a column that had your November budget numbers. And then you're going to plug in to the right of that, another column where you've got your actuals, and then you're going to look at the variance. But then you're also, while you're doing, because I suggest you do this monthly planning. You take a couple hours at minimum each month. It's nice to check in on your business every week financially, but the big job is at the month. And then you, you know what you've earned in that month and you take that 20% or whatever number it is, and then you put that aside.
0: Got it. Can you talk a little bit about the cash flow statement? This is so I understand the balance sheet that walks you through literally the balances and all the different kinds of accounts that you might have assets, liabilities, your literally your bank accounts, like how much cash you have on hand, and then any debt that you're tracking for your business. So I get the balance sheet, the profit and loss makes sense to me, but I've never really understood the cash flow as somebody who is always, you know, some weeks I will have. So this is me talking about my massage practice, not the money coaching since it's so new, but I would have weeks where I would have 6,000 in income and then other weeks where it might be 450 in income. And so with on the average within the month, I had a more manageable range, but still pretty variable. And so I never really needed to think about that particular document in in the context of my business. So I'd love if you just talk a bit more about its function
1: and why it's important. Absolutely. And I'll be completely honest with you. I don't find it as valuable as the other two statements. Mm -hmm. Essentially what your statement of cash flow is, it's going to give, okay, let me backtrack a bit. Because typically what you do is you keep these three financial statements accurate and up to date. And when you would need all three of these statements is usually for external parties. Like you absolutely need your balance sheet and your income statement for your personal financial management within your business. But when you're going to a bank or some type of investor, they'll usually ask for all three of these statements. So your statement of cash flow shows the cash activity from cash coming in, your financing activities, your investing activities and your operational activities. So financing activities is what you've purchased and like, let's say you financed a piece of equipment or something. Mm-hmm. So it shows the payments that you have to make for it. Your investing shows any money that's coming in and out for your investments. But whatever, just for clarity, some people mix up financing, investing, but investing is when you actually put your money somewhere safe. And then the third one is your operating expenses. So essentially what your cash flow statement is doing is it shows what's coming in and out of your bank account for the year. So it's projecting income and
0: expenses over the year.
1: It has, it doesn't it actually has very little to do with income and expenses. It's your cash. So like, let's say like it, it, Actually, I have an excellent diagram, which I wish I could show on a podcast.
0: <laughs> if only we could just magic this up in front I know, of people's I eyes. Know.
1: <laughs> this one is so visual and it's so Well, good.
0: we could include it in the show notes if you want to send the image to Yes,
1: me. I might do that. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Um, okay, so then it shows you how it can flow in and out. But okay. on a day-to-day basis or a week-to-week, however you manage your cash, you're going to use a system that is similar to like that's my fourth step in my in my programs so you use a similar system that's well similar to the statement of cash flow but it projects it five to six six weeks ahead of time instead of like looking at the full year because by the time you see a statement of cash flow this activity is done and over with and it's basically useless Mm. it's just investors want to see that it's part of how they do their their financial ratios to deem if you're worthy of investment or not
0: so That sounds like something that's more relevant generally. I mean, as you said at the beginning of this part of the conversation, that it's sort of the least important one. But I think it sounds like, especially for people who are solopreneurs or microbusiness owners or something, that this is a less important document because they might not necessarily be working with investors or wanting to share that sort of information. Exactly.
1: Exactly. Mm, so it's mm. not to just say that it doesn't add value because it does. Sure. You just have to really understand what it's telling you. And for the large majority of solopreneurs, it will not be needed.
0: Yeah. Fair enough. But they will
1: need to manage their cash. Yes. So the cash <laughs> management and statement of cash flow are two separate things. Yeah.
0: Yeah. For me, it was a real revolution to start managing my business on a cash basis in a way that I hadn't previously. So when I started to get obsessed with budgeting I overhauled how I handled my money in my personal life, but I also started to implement the principles in my business life. So previously, all of my recurring charges, like my acuity scheduling and my liability insurance and these other incidental costs for my massage practice, they would all go on a credit card, which usually got paid off, but not always. And so I slowly got to the point where all of those recurring expenses in addition to my rent, which had to be paid in cash, but all of the, all of the expenses that could have gone to a credit card previously now are paid for on a cash basis. And
1: it's life-changing. It is life-changing. It's that you can breathe again, right?
0: And it's not like I'm making so much more money.
1: I just took myself
0: through a transition process and just do things differently now.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, and you would be amazed at how little money you need to become wealthy person. Wealth lies in the money management. Yes,
0: it's in that gap between the income and the and the the outflow. It's not. It's not the income, and it's really hard. Exactly. I think, especially if someone's newer in their business, or if they've always only worked on their own and never really put the time and effort in, or never really saw the point of being more rigorous with how they manage their money, they don't realize how much freedom is implied in getting more friendly with your numbers and planning how you spend your money, which is one of the things that I get really excited about. And I think you do too, because when you teach someone this and they take it seriously, they're like, oh, why haven't I been doing this all along? Everything's so much easier. I mean, yes, you're spending, I don't know, three to five hours a month, like crunching your numbers, whatever it's going to take. It's less if you use software, it's more if you just do your own spreadsheet or something, but it's not a huge amount of time for the freedom and
1: and the wealth that it offers you. Exactly. And I find for the most part for the people that I've worked with, it's the overwhelm at first that stops them from learning all of this. Yeah. Because it really does feel overwhelming if you don't know yeah. how to manage it. Yeah. Because I mean, sadly, we're not taught these skills in school. And most parents don't talk to their kids about it. Yeah, You know, money is a very hush-hush topic. Yeah. You don't talk to your friends about it. You may talk about, you know, how much something costs, but people don't talk about how they manage their finances. Definitely. So if you were talking to someone whose
0: version of managing their business finances has been, look at the bank account a few times a month. And so long as it's not overdrawn, they're taking care of things, they're more or less able to pay their bills but they feel like there's more possibility or maybe they're struggling with some debt. What's usually the first place that you look at with the people who come to
1: you on like for business finances. Yeah. Basically what happens is they tell me their story and they get to work right away because everybody needs to be on the same system. And it sounds like everybody feels like they've got individual problems and they need special attention and (laughs) the special snowflake syndrome yeah And it's not to say that like they're not justified in how they feel because they do feel alone. They feel like, oh, my God, I must be the only person and nobody's going through the same thing because nobody talks about it. So then we just immediately get into the program, say, okay, this is where we're starting. And we start from step one and we go all the way to step four. Yeah. And, you know, I and so often my clients will be like, I'm like, you know, approaching them like, oh, this is going to be fun. And they're like, yeah, I don't think so. So. What's yeah, your problem? Usually, yeah, yeah. Like, you're crazy, lady. You're kind of like my last resort here. So, and I really don't think you're going to work out. So, whatever. <laughs> and then usually by week three or four, my clients are like, "Oh my god, what a difference!" Yeah, you know. And it really is just the overwhelm. I really feel it is because you just need somebody to guide you through all the crap that's out there. Yeah, yeah. So you're a
0: fellow podcaster your podcast is called Think Like a CFO. Can you say just a little bit about what does it mean to you to think like a CFO?
1: Okay, yeah, absolutely. Because if you look at the large corporations, every CEO, the chief executive officer has a CFO behind them. And the CEO is definitely a valuable role in the business. But so is the chief financial officer. And for most of us, we can't afford to have a full-time CFO on staff and to help us guide us through. So what I like to do is I like to teach people these skills so that they know what they're doing. Like, you know, once they take that eight week investment and like, it's one hour a week for eight weeks, you invest in the program and stuff, and then you've got that extra support when you need it, then you can make financial decisions that benefit your company, you're making informed decisions. So if you don't understand what your numbers are telling you, and you're making business decisions, you're doing them blindly, as I mentioned earlier, like, that's kind of scary when you think about it. Mm. You know, it's like, if you're making decisions, and you don't know if it's going to be profitable for your business or not. I mean, I'm assuming that, you know, every decision you make, you're making to bring in money. So you know, something's going to bring in money but you don't know if the expenses are going to exceed that money that it's bringing in. That's a big problem. Sure. So everybody needs to have a little bit of CFO in them as a CEO. Mm. And then as you grow and scale and you can afford to hire that person or even a virtual CFO part-time, whatever you can do that, but you can't, you can't depend on somebody to tell you what's going on. You know, there's plenty of bookkeepers and accountants out there who they can give you information, but they're not going to give you the whole picture because they don't know your business like you do. Mm-hmm. So you're doing yourself a huge disservice if you don't know your money.
0: Yeah. So really valuing the numbers and knowing that they have real importance beyond just what you can afford or something. Like it's really about using the numbers to help make decisions. I mean,
1: strategic for me, decisions strategic too. decisions. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. yeah. And and it intimidates people often because they feel like, oh, I'll, I, you know, I, I'll never know this. Like, I don't understand money. I don't understand numbers. I, I, I'm not a math person, whatever. But I believe that everybody can do this. You just need to be shown how.
0: Mm. Yeah, for sure. When it comes to the mechanics of it, do you recommend online software or anything else
1: if someone's only just working for themselves? I highly recommend using online software. Mm -hmm. If you're going to be doing your own bookkeeping, especially use online software, because they're so advanced right now. They help you. They guide you along the way. There's some great programs out there. Mm -hmm. And it's so easy if there are bookkeeping errors. It's easy enough to correct. But on the other hand bookkeeping is a whole different discussion I could go on about for a while.
0: <laughs> Let's sum it up at this. You have to stay <laughs> up to date.
1: <laughs> yeah. If you're going to do your own bookkeeping, make sure you know what you're doing.
0: Yeah, definitely. And just take it seriously.
1: <laughs> absolutely. <laughs>
0: uh, and so is QuickBooks the basic go-to
1: for you or do you have other software that you like? For me, absolutely. Mm. Absolutely. I am a QuickBooks girl. I have clients who don't use QuickBooks, and I have a lot that Mm -hmm. do. I have seen other programs. They function just as well, but QuickBooks is my go-to. Yeah,
0: and I feel like they have, in the last five years or so, they've introduced a couple new products that are really intended for those who just work for themselves or work in a service-based industry, which Mm -hmm. is a really sort of pared down version. I remember QuickBooks Desktop, which is how I learned QuickBooks like Me back in 2007. <laughs> it was a behemoth. Yeah. <laughs> I've worked in Peachtree and Sage. There's yes, like been all these random yeah. things that feel like they're barely relevant anymore. But yeah, hey. Yeah. <laughs> I would like to ask just a bit more about you and your business and what you are working towards in the future. I'm curious if you have a big money goal right now.
1: Ooh, I love money. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to lie. I love money and I, I, and I love helping people make money. And, you know, this is just my first year of business. So it's been a, it's been a rocky road with the pandemic. Mm -hmm. So, definitely, my five year goal is to be in the seven figure range for sales, but I will have a hefty profit too. Yeah. (laughs) I won't be bragging about my seven figure sales. (laughs) You'll be bragging about your bottom line. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) That's fabulous. Yeah. I mean, the more people I can reach and help, the happier I am because I believe, I believe that a lot of the personal finance space is is getting really good coverage. There's lots of money coaches out there that are doing a really good job of teaching the mm-hmm. essential skills, but I don't see a lot of business coaches who are teaching the actual finance stuff. Yeah. That is super important yeah. as I've mentioned throughout this episode. I won't reiterate, yeah. but
0: So what advice do you give to someone who wants to fill in that gap and they're just beginning to work on their business finances with more attention? What's, what's a one, like a one solid
1: piece of advice you would tell them? Know how much money is coming in and how much you're spending. That is the key. Do not spend more than what you're making and if by chance, I mean, I understand in the green years, you know, things are not, maybe not the green years What's the expression lean. Um, just in the green years. Yeah. It, it's hard to do that. And don't listen to everybody who's telling you to invest in their course, invest in their course, because that's not what you need. You need to make money so that you can invest in their course, get the money first yeah, before you start investing in things and really understand your expenses. Yeah
0: uh there's a product at the moment that has been popping up in my facebook feed as an ad and part of her copy states that online business is the only area of business where you're expected to give everything away for free and invest a ton of money in yourself over the course of years and then start charging for something once you've built an audience up she's like any any other business starts with a product like that is the foundation of the product is to sell and And it's something that I've been thinking about. It's a good point, Mm -hmm. you know, because it's a little bit like the Wild West of business to be an online business. And Mm -hmm. so there's a lot of noise to sort through. (laughs) And I do... I like that. I like that underscoring of you've just got to be practical and not be seduced by all of the expert copy, much of which is manipulative. All of these false yeah. deadlines that are created, they're like, get it now before it's gone. But it's yeah, not going so anywhere. It's, it's just yeah. a false deadline. And they're building up the sense of scarcity and they're accurately depicting all the faults that you see in yourself and offering you the solution. There's a lot of. Yeah, it's manipulative, even though it's normal. It's it's once you sort of drop down a layer and look at the standard sales practices online and really wonder. There's just sort of an unconscious process that people tap into because it's what they're taught about how to sell stuff.
1: And it's funny that you mentioned that because I've had this conversation recently with a couple of other friends of mine that are online entrepreneurs. And it's very frustrating to a lot of people because it feels so uh, deceptive. Yes. Yeah.
0: There's actually, I think I've mentioned her on the podcast before, but her name is Kelly Deals. And I definitely have in mind to enroll in one of her programs at some point. Uh, she does what she calls feminist and justice-oriented copywriting, among many other things. But she gives very specific examples. I think it's one of her lead magnets, actually. this It's a free email course on what it looks like to have a more conscientious copywriting offering oh, wow. in your work and i really like how she thinks about things she's trying her best not to be manipulative within the context of genuinely selling what she knows can help people um mm-hmm. and it's been thought provoking even just to to take that free email course and yeah i highly recommend checking out what she does it's yeah i'm definitely going to check that yeah, out I think so. it'll be in the show notes her last name is d i e l s deals um, D-I-E-L-S? Okay. D-I-E-L-S. Yeah. Yeah. So I think there's, there's a lot to think about and work with because at the end of the day, yes, we need to sell things like that is how a business works. And there's nothing wrong with that. I'm, I'm pro sales. I just am not pro manipulation. And I, exactly. I want to open up as not an, as much space as possible for people to make a decision within a conscious and aware and intentional state where they're like, yes, I am choosing this thing out of freedom rather than from a sense of lack and rather than from a sense of pressure.
1: Absolutely. I completely agree.
0: I want to finish up with my final question. Are you ready? I'm absolutely ready. Okay.
1: Question. What is your favorite fruit? (gasps) Favorite fruit. That's a tough question. Is it? Yeah. No, (laughs) it's not. Kiwi.
0: Kiwi is my absolute favorite. Yes. You are introducing a new fruit to us. We have some uh, best in shows so far. They've been mangoes and lychees, interestingly oh. enough. So, Kiwi's new.
1: Kiwi's new to you?
0: No, not new to me, to the podcast. Oh, to the answers <laughs> to this question. <laughs> I really like kiwis and I think yeah. they're really beautiful as well. The plant is gorgeous. It's this amazing, like, curly welly vine with these
1: beautiful furry leaves. Oh, really? Yeah. I've never really seen a, a, Yeah. A tree or a vine? Like I mean,
0: it's have you seen a grapevine where you have kind of like the woody tree mm-hmm. bit on the bottom and then you've got the viney bits? So it's a bit like that. There'll be a mature base that the vine grows from each oh, year. Nice. Okay. Yeah. They grow a lot of them in California. Okay. You're welcome for this unexpected a little of information. <laughs> <laughs> let's finish up with you sharing where people can find you online. And if there's anything in particular, you want
1: people to keep an eye out for. Absolutely. You can find me at melissahoustoncpa.com. So that's M-E-L-I-S-S-A-H-O-U-S-T-O-N-C-P-A.com. And if you're interested in getting a free download for the four-step program that I was talking about, you'll be prompted right on the first page and you can click and sign up for that. special thanks to michael p atkinson for help with producing
0: this episode and for composing its beautiful music if you enjoyed listening today i hope you'll return and tell your creative friends and colleagues about it and also to take a moment to leave a review wherever it is that you listen positive reviews make a huge difference in getting the word out about creatives do money and in the meantime wishing you all money business and life success whatever that means to you